You're clean, aren't you? Except for your tower. You're a tower junkie, Roland. Hello and welcome to Tower Junkies, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. Tower Junkies is a podcast celebrating the work of Stephen King with an occasional focus on his magnum opus, The Dark Tower series. We discuss the themes, characters, and mythology of the series in Palaver episodes, and review the books and comic series in Kef episodes. Um, but m- most of all, <laughs> we discuss non-Tower King novels, TV and film adaptations of King's work, and the latest news about all things that serve the King. You can find more of our work at TowerJunkiesPod.com. You can also like the Facebook page at Facebook.com slash TowerJunkiesPod, and follow Follow us on Twitter and every other level of social media at Tower Junkies Pod. And if you'd like to support what we do here, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer, which I have a special uh, Patreon ad read that I'm going to do <laughs> for the upcoming weekend here. So uh, if you'll um, indulge me for just a moment, I have this uh, special Patreon ad that I'm going to read. <clears throat> This Memorial Day weekend, while drivers compete in the Indianapolis 500 in Mayan Tiny's hometown of Speedway, Indiana, you should race on over to patreon.com slash obsessive viewer and take advantage of our 500 miles worth of bonus content. There are no yellow flags or cautions when you sign up for the $1 Patreon level, as you'll get instant access to over 100 B-roll episodes recorded specifically for Patreon supporters. You can also be part of our pit crew by signing up for the $2 Patreon level for additional access to TV reviews and reaction episodes follow that checkered flag by joining our five dollar patreon level for additional access to full-length movie commentary tracks provided by yours truly with occasional call-ins from the obsessive viewer co-hosts but why stop there take your victory lap by signing up for the ten dollar level to get access to everything plus early access to episodes and more unreleased content so again race on over to patreon.com slash obsessive viewer and become a patron today (laughs) so so yeah that's my uh, Taylor made Memorial Day pitch for Patreon. Um, right now, if you pledge $10 per month, you get access to, uh, like right now, um, all of my bonus episodes for anthology for the show Solos on Amazon Prime. Plus, right now, there is our... Um, our on writing episode, which is going to come out on June 11th, is currently posted on the $10 level for early access. Uh, that's a really fun episode. Tiny and I recorded it last night with Mike from Obsessive Viewer, um, and we're just we it was it was a lot of fun to to chat with Mike and to uh, to do all of that. So anyway, again, that's Patreon.com/slash/ObsessiveViewer. All the money that I make off of Patreon goes toward paying the fees to keep the podcast running, and is incredibly incredibly appreciated. So. Um, all right. So I'm one of your hosts, Matt Hurt, and usually I'm here with Tiny, but today it's just me on the show. Um, and the reason for that is because we, um, <laughs> I really, really wanted to get Lisey's story read and reviewed and then concentrate on the show that's coming out next, next week. Um, and unfortunately Tiny was not able to, to finish the book in time, which is fine. Um, we're, he's going to be back next week to review the first two episodes of Lisey's story, uh, the TV show. Uh, but for now, I'm writing solo on this. I did send him a message just a little bit ago telling him I'm about, I'm about to record the episode and that if he wants to call in to give kind of his in-progress um, 
uh, thoughts on the book, uh, he can. So I can't guarantee that he will or not, but I do have a feeling that at some point the general flow of the, of this episode might be interrupted by a phone call from Tiny. <laughs> So look forward to that. Uh, So anyway, so today on the podcast, as I've alluded to, I will be sharing my thoughts on Stephen King's 44th novel, Lisey's Story, which was published October uh, 24th, 2006 by Scribner. And uh, yeah, I'll get into the plot synopsis and, and get into the review and everything proper here in a second, but I do have a couple of news items, really just a very brief news segment and check ins, but Uh, For Stephen King news, I just want to announce that uh, If It Bleeds paperback edition is going to be um, published on June 1st, so pick that up if you haven't already, and uh, Lisey's Story, the limited limited series TV tie-in edition is going to actually also be published on June 1st, Um, so that's cool for, like... In terms of collecting, I'm I'm a really hardcore Stephen King collector. I really want maybe not hardcore. I'm not like Calvin Tower from the Dark Tower, but I'm I'm a, I'm I'm really like collecting the physical copies of Stephen King's books, and like that Lisey Story tie-in edition is something that I want. Like I really want. I don't know if I actually got around to doing this, but I wanted to do, or I wanted to get the tie-in edition. I th- uh, the tie-in edition of of it. Um, for it chapter one and it chapter two, and I think I loaned it chapter one the uh tie-in edition uh to Fekus, one of the co-hosts on Obsessive Viewer, who also made a brief appearance on one of our first episodes talking about the Dark Tower movie. Um, and he he took it to Cancun, I think, to read it. And I think I I may have mentioned this on a Stephen King check-in or something um, at some point in the podcast history. But uh, he was reading it, and like the heat, the humidity, and everything just warped it, and <laughs> like it was destroyed. So uh, he promised to uh, to buy me a new one. But I mean, I have like two other copies of the book, so it's not a big deal. Anyway. Um, as far as Stephen King check-ins, um, so uh, that's all the news that I have and everything, but the Stephen King check-ins I have are just another um, kind of plug for the Patreon. Um, I finished reading On Writing, which was the first time I read that book in almost almost 20 years, so back when it was first published. And last night, Tiny and I recorded an episode with Mike from Obsessive Viewer and As Good As It Gets, um, which is currently available on Patreon at the $10 level, but um, it is going to be released on the main feed on June 11th, and I just want to mention that Mike is part of a band called As Good As It Gets. The little jingle that you hear at the end um, of each episode, like the kind of outro jingle as I'm ending the episode, that is a song by Mike's band, As Good As It Gets. Um, uh, that song is Was It Me? And I'm a huge fan of Mike's music. He's, I mean, he's he's very talented, and I've been a, a fan of his for years. And he and his bandmate Dustin are actually uh, currently in progress on a Kickstarter campaign that they've they've met their goal, which I'm incredibly proud of them for and super excited for. But they are basically going to release a CD, a physical CD of past songs that they wrote that were never um, recorded for their previous band, Thank You Jade. And so they've met their goal and everything, but you can still pre-order the album on their Kickstarter. It's uh, just search for As Good As It Gets Band on Kickstarter. I'll put a link in the show notes and everything, but definitely want to plug that because I'm super proud of them and super excited for 
them. And if you guys are into kind of uh, pop punk or like early 2000s uh, kind of pop punk music, uh, I think you will really enjoy it. So check that out on Kickstarter. And then the other Stephen King check-in is another plug for Patreon. <laughs> and um, just want to say, first of all, uh, just plug for Patreon. And and this is, um, I don't know, I, 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 Tiny and I, so Tiny and I currently have access to screeners for Lisey's Story, the TV adaptation. And I am very excited about that and very um, um, privileged to have that opportunity, to, to have that privilege to have screener access before it airs. And so the plan is that Tiny and I are going to record our first episode covering the first two episodes, which are going to premiere on June 4th. And that episode of the podcast is going to be posted on the main feed the second that the two episodes, if everything goes correctly, (laughs) the second that the two episodes air on Apple TV Plus. So when you watch the first two episodes, you'll have an episode of Tower Junkies waiting for you. But in addition to that, Patreon. If you pledge $2 per month, I am going to be doing a um, a weekly TV reaction review solo, kind of like my immediate reaction to the episodes of Lisey's Story each time uh, the show airs. And since I have those screeners, I'm going to be able to, like, Memorial Day weekend is a couple days away now, and I'm going to, like, since I will have this episode released and everything... Um, I will have, uh, I will, I will definitely have a, um, uh, an opportunity through the long weekend to watch all the screeners. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to record my immediate reaction to those screeners, to the original, to uh, my immediate reaction for each episode. And, uh, I'm sorry, I'm a little distracted because I completely forgot to set my backup recording, (laughs) which I'm doing now as I'm talking. So, um, each I'm going to watch all the episodes and each time I finish an episode, I'm going to record probably a 20 to 30 minute, um, give or take, um, reaction to those episodes. And I'm going to schedule those on Patreon at the $2 level to post the second that each corresponding episode is released on Apple TV plus. And the reason why I am telling you guys that is because we are doing for the main feed, we're doing for, for tower junkies, similar to how we did, Castle Rock and other TV shows and and the Stand miniseries and everything. We are going to be doubling up episodes for each review. So we're going to be doing the first episode is going to be the first episode we do covering Lisey's story is going to cover the first two episodes of the series. And then we're going to take a week off. That's when we're going to we're going to release the on writing episode. And then the week after that, we're going to rec- we're going to release our uh, review of episodes uh, three and four. And then a couple weeks later, five and six, a couple weeks later, seven and eight, finishing it up. But on Patreon at the $2 level, I'm going to be releasing my um, immediate reaction to each individual episode. And I'm going to schedule those immediate reactions to post the second that each episode is posted on Apple TV Plus. So if you don't want to wait for our notoriously long delays... (laughs) Um, and everything, check out patreon.com slash obsessive viewer, pledge $2 per month, and you'll get access to an RSS feed that I will be posting those, uh, those immediate reaction recordings, uh, to throughout the run of it. And in the, in addition to that, I'm also going to be doing Loki reviews, um, on that level of the Patreon and, 
Um, probably some other stuff here and there. I still need to do Sasquatch. Um, I, I, I'm going to do that. That's, a, that's on my list for this weekend. So Hulu docuseries Sasquatch is going to be on there too. So anyway, that's enough of me um, begging you guys for money. But again, that's patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. Tons of content there. And I, I appreciate anyone that, that is willing to support us. And so, um, now that news and check-ins are out of the way, I'm going to go ahead and go into my podcast, Cotet Corner, um, which is a relatively new segment that we have done where I'm going to kind of use each episode to kind of highlight a, uh, a, a, a Stephen King-themed podcast, um, a different one each time. So this week's uh, podcast content corner spotlight is on Kingslingers, a Dark Tower podcast. Kingslingers is a podcast exploring, analyzing, exploring and analyzing Stephen King's Dark Tower series. Each week, join constant reader Scott as he leads Dark Tower newbie Matt on this uh, epic journey to find out what lies at the top of the tower and beyond. This is from Doof Media, and they uh, just recently launched their second season. Admittedly, I am very far behind on this podcast uh but i have i've dabbled in it i've i've listened to the first couple of episodes um they seem like really good guys and it's they've they have like the entire dark tower covered so unlike this dark tower podcast you're listening to this podcast kingslingers actually covers the dark tower series um so check that out uh kingslingers uh there there's some good guys over there so um check that out and that's the podcast content corner and let's get in to Lisey's Story, um, a book that's up until the moment I pressed play on the um, audiobook, I thought was pronounced Lisey's Story. <laughs> so uh, this is going to be a fun uh, review, I think. So, okay. Uh, Lisey's Story. Now, the uh, synopsis of it, according to StephenKing.com, is as such. Uh, two years after her husband's death, Lisey Landon decides it's time to go through his office to clear out his papers. Scott Landon was a best-selling novelist, and Lisey has been besieged by people wanting to buy any of his unpublished work, but she is determined not to let that happen. As she begins to pro- the process of cleaning, she is contacted by an unsavory character who claims that if she does not turn over the papers, he will make her suffer the consequences. Finding strength she did not know she had and never used during their marriage, Lisey refuses, and true to his word, Zach McCool... Uh, begins to stalk her. Lisey begins to remember strange events from her marriage that she had suppressed and finds clues that may help save her life. Once again, this book was published October 24th, 2006 by Scribner, and the inspiration for the book, uh, according to StephenKing.com, and as mentioned in a recent uh, promotional um, uh, thing, <laughs> of uh from from apple tv plus a promotional video that had stephen king talking about it um i'm just going to read this from this excerpt from stephenking.com during the time that steve had a had to spend in the hospital due to a bout with pneumonia his home office was cleared to paint and renovate he returned to find many of his books etc still in boxes and it occurred to him that that was what the room would look like following his death and of what his wife tabitha would have to deal with and that i find to be a really really interesting kind of inspiration uh, for the book. And it's kind of also a little bit unique because uh, throughout my travels of learning about Stephen King and reading about Stephen King and just having just absolute love for the guy, um, I know like notoriously one of the worst questions you can ask 
really any creative person, any writer is where do you come up with your ideas or or how do you, how do you come up with your ideas? And, um, that (laughs) it's, it's interesting that we just have a, just completely like straightforward, um, like this is how I came up with the idea of Lisey's story. Um, so I just kind of found that a little bit humorous. So as, uh, as we do here on Tower Junkies, I'm going to separate, um, my Lisey story review into a non-spoiler section that's going to be kind of more broad terms and, and kind of in, uh, kind of a broad kind of overview of how I felt about the book without going into too many plot specifics and everything. So if you haven't read Lisey's story, feel free to listen to this non-spoiler review, and then when I go into spoilers, I will play some music and I'll put timestamps in it and everything so you'll be able to uh, cry off and and come back after you've read the book. Uh, so having said that, let me go into non-spoilers for Lisey's story. So to be upfront, I had a little bit of a hard time getting into this book. Um, it is a very ethereal and trippy kind of kind of experience reading Lisey's story because it is it is so um it, it it has such a such a fractured structure and it leaps backwards in time um not necessarily like a conventional time travel th- story or anything like that um but uh but it it's it's something that it rewards paying attention to something and I have a very short attention span, but it, I don't know. I just kind of felt like the use of flashbacks were a bit, um, were a bit, uh, uh, jarring at first. Also, I don't think tiny is going to be able to call in because he just, uh, responded to my message and, uh, he said, uh, he's still at work. And, uh, for context, it is 9, 19 PM right now. <laughs> um, uh, wow. Yeah. So anyway, so it's a very trippy and, and kind of a hard to access story, um, which maybe that's a little bit unfair to say because Stephen King He's his plotting is really good normally, and and I'm not saying that it's bad here. It's just it takes a lot of a lot of energy to kind of stick with it, and ultimately by the by the second half of the book, the structure of it really fascinated me, and it was really it really caught caught a groove with me and really just dug deep and and was very satisfactory to me um after about like the halfway point i still have some issues with the overall story which i'll talk probably in more detail and spoilers but for the most part i kind of struggled with that first first quarter or first half of the story and mostly it's because it employs those flashbacks so much and obviously stephen king is is he's not um, uh, like flashbacks are not new to him or anything. I mean, the structure of it and, um, oh, some other stuff in his repertoire, but, um, he is like, he, there are some very strong, oh, Dreamcatcher. Um, there are some very strong, um, kind of structural kind of stories that he's done. Like, I really like the structure of, uh, Christine, as it kind of switches the um, perspective, um, 
the the like from first person perspective to third person perspective and and it kind of it is segmented into different sections and then even the outsider has that's more um surprise based but like the institute also has some interesting things with structure in Lacey's story, this is a more complex structure than I think I've ever read in a Stephen King book because it is just jumping us into Lacey's memories and her like reaction to memories and her uncovering of memories and everything. And it just becomes a little bit cumbersome because I... Um, I ultimately wanted more in the present. I wanted more, uh, more importance to be put into the present day stuff with, uh, Jim Dooley and even with Amanda to an extent. But what, what I, like what I said before back or, uh, a few minutes ago, but, um, about halfway through the book, things kind of clicked together with me and I kind of really appreciated the structure for what it was, which the overall structure of it, the way that it employs the flashbacks and, and bringing us backwards and, and giving us vignettes of Scott and Lisi together and their marriage and everything. Um, the way that it does that is a, is a very fascinating way to just dive into both Lisi's grief over the death of her husband and the memory of their, uh, of their, their marriage and also the, the overall tragedy of Scott Landon. So, in the book, from the beginning, Scott's dead. Like the opening scene is Lisi and her sister Amanda going through the uh, his study and everything. And through and and then and then from there, King takes us on a kind of guided tour through Lisi's memories of the marriage, and as she uncovers more details and more. Um, more more things about the the tragedy of Scott Landon. Um, we learn more about her grief and about their connection, and I think that that's a really a really satisfactory way to kind of explore a love between two people. Um, because we we are brought into the story in Lisey's grief, and then we're brought into Scott's story and his tragedy, and his mental illness, and his family history, and everything, in such a kind of surprising, almost roller coaster kind of way. Um, it's not, I mean, it's not like overall, like, it's not like the most thrilling kind of thing. But in terms of characterization, and deepening, deepening of Lisey's grief, and her uh, loss of her, of her husband, it's really interesting. Uh, it's a really interesting structure to kind of explore those themes and the theme, the greater themes of the story as well. Um, one of the things that I really love about it, in like as as I said, like through that second half in particular, is the way that the memories uh, Lisi has of Scott. Like through those memories, we learn about the tragedy of Scott Landon and his childhood and everything and his family. However. Like we we learn the darkness of Scott Landon's life, but we also learn, and this is going to sound hokey, but we learn of the light that their marriage and that Lisey's love provided him. And in that respect, it's a very beautiful story, very beautifully told story. And when it hits, when it hits on that particular um, theme and idea behind the story, 
it's gangbusters. I mean, it is really great. I was very, I was very taken with, especially kind of in the closing pages of the book. Like there are some things in the closing pages of the book that just really, really hit home in terms of kind of putting a button on this, this connection that King has guided us through between Lisi and Scott. And I just, I respect the hell out of him for that, for sure. Um, it's just, it's really, it's really, uh, great. But again, but I think that like, as great as that is, as strong as that is, um, it was still, it really was a struggle in that first half specifically, specifically because of that structure. Like it's a kind of a weird thing to have a ton of respect for the book and for the messaging of it, the themes of it and the way that the story is told ultimately, but really being so disconnected with that first half is just really, it's a unique experience for me. Um, and I think that the reason why I couldn't really connect with that first half is specifically because, because of that structure and because there's specifically not enough propulsion to the present day plot in the first half to really keep the story moving. So we have the introduction of Lisi and we have her going through, uh, Scott's study and she's talking about the incunks, uh, the, the people who are obsessed with his writing and, and wanting to get his, uh, get his unpublished works and everything. The vultures coming into, coming into, to, um, feed on, on the carcass of his, of his creativity. And, I I was very fascinated by that, and it's something that Stephen King has explored many times. Um, even like Misery is the big one, and also Finders Keepers has this uh, this explored very uh, similarly to this. But I just feel like in terms of like the Jim Dooley side of it, the kind of main antagonist of the book main physical antagonist of the book, uh, being Jim Dooley, I don't feel like there is enough there to really, uh, to really, uh, to, to really, um, move the plot forward enough in a way to justify all of the jumps back in time. Like I appreciate that Stephen King wants to tell the story of Lisi and Scott. And I appreciate that he tells that story very well on its own and tells the story of their growth together, their hardships, the, the the pain of Scott's mental illness and uh and all of that coming through the lens of Lisey's grief over her dead husband is like incredibly beautifully written storytelling. The problem is that we are going through these excursions into the past while also we're in this present that is that is is hinted at that there's more that there's that there's something kind of evil lurking or, or there's a threat against Lisi in the in the character of Jim Dooley which I feel like that just that I I really wanted that to be explored a little bit more like I wanted that to be developed a little bit more and have have a little bit more going on maybe when I revisit this book down the road maybe I'll I'll be more connected to it knowing the context of it but going through the book, the first half, going through uh, learning about Scott, learning about Lisi, learning about Lisi and Scott, and also having to contend with uh, Jim Dooley and his his bar chum guy that contacted Woodburn or something. Um, and then also on top of all of that, Lisi having to deal with her sister and the drama of her, of her sister being um, 
self-harming and having to be uh, hospitalized and, and everything. And while that does connect with the greater story in a very interesting way, it also just feels like there's a little bit too much going on in that first half to really let me latch on to something or latch on to the narrative and really kind of let King guide me through it. I was kind of, it felt a little bit like whiplash and it kind of felt like we were, we were constantly, at least I was feeling like I was constantly playing catch up in two separate timelines with three separate plot threads. And that was kind of just a bummer for me in that first half. Um, but throughout the second half, though, is when it just kind of clicked together. And specifically, I won't give anything away, but there is a there is a plot element involving the Jim Dooley character. Jim Dooley being a character who um, is obsessed with Scott's work and threatens threatens to harm Lisi. And that when that reaches a certain level, that is when the story kind of clicked together for me and really made me more interested in it. Um, but still it kind of felt like that felt like it was the B or C plot of the story because there's so much else going on. And also, and maybe I'll talk a little bit more, uh, in specifics of this in uh, in spoilers, but it also kind of felt a little bit similar to some of the, some of King's other work. I mean, it kind of seemed a little, like, okay, there's this antagonist who's coming after the protagonist, and the protagonist is going to have to uh, get rid of this antagonist in a specific way. And it kind of felt a little bit, I don't know, it just it felt like there should have been a little bit more to it, I think, or a little bit more attention paid to it, um, or it should have been more fleshed out and really more prominent in the overall plot. But the reason that Lisi's story is one of, if not King's favorite stories that he's written and why it is, uh, why it is well regarded in, in certain circles, like, um, uh, 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 the year of underrated Stephen King, the podcast from, uh, the, uh, podcast contact corner that I referenced, uh, last time, uh, Kim C is a huge fan of this book and I'm very excited to listen to her episode about it. But, um, cause I, I wanted to stay in a vacuum while I did my review, but it's, it's something that I had some issues with, but overall I do feel like the heart of the story, this, the story of Lisi, uh, Lisi's story and the story of her and Scott and the story of their connection and their, their bond and, 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 uh, uh, Scott's history is very compelling and very beautifully written. So I can't fault the book too much. It, it probably won't make my top 19, but it, I mean, it would probably be in the twenties for sure of the 35 or 40 Stephen King books I've read. It's probably in the mid twenties. I would say it's, it's a very, very, a uh, solid book that is told beautifully when it's uh when it when the characterization is at the forefront and the connection of those characters is at the forefront. Um so that's my non-spoiler review. Um I don't think I have anything more to say in non-spoilers. Um I in terms of it being in a kind of ethereal and um kind of uh kind of a kind of weird trippy experience, I did really, really enjoy that structure by the end of the book, specifically because it's, it kind of felt like King having some fun with structure a little bit. And I, I really love when he does that. Um, 
And yeah, it just, it really told a very involving story of this connection between this husband and wife. I just kind of wish that the peripheral stuff was a little bit more fleshed out and, uh, and, and more explored. Um, yeah. So, um, having said that, I think that that's my non-spoiler review. Um, I am going to go ahead and play, uh, some music to kind of break apart the non-spoiler and spoiler section. So if you haven't read Lisey's story and you don't want to be spoiled, um, go ahead, check the show notes. Cause I think, well, I mean, really stop listening <laughs> and then come back when you have, cause I don't have anything more after that, but, uh, I'm going to go into spoilers, hear some music. And when I come back, I'm going to spoil Lisey's story. Okay, so spoilers on for Lisey's story. Um, and I want to start out, I just, I like, I realized I did not go into much specifics in, um, in the book, in the non-spoiler section, but I want to start out by talking about the kind of the overall concept of the Booyah Moon. Um, and this, like the, like I've said, it's, it's kind of a very ethereal kind of book and, and story. So, Honestly, I'm not that confident talking about like the kind of abstract concept of this portal to um an, another like kind of an in-between world, I guess. Um a safe zone in the daylight, I guess, but um what I did like about it is the kind of uh, the uh, the Arthur's the, <laughs> the author's note um toward the end of, or at the end of the book where uh King talks about kind of the metaphor of the the pool that that creative artists go to for their stories and everything and so he name checks and references and pays tribute to a lot of music and and art that he referenced throughout the book but um I do like the overall concept of the um of the writer having this sanctuary that he kind of goes to and can transport to and everything it's a very interesting kind of abstract concept and I like it. I think one of the driving forces of this book and driving forces of the bond between Lisi and um, Scott is that he includes her in it. He brings her to to it, like the scene under the yum yum tree. And when she's learning more about all of this this pain that he has in his life, it's a very interesting kind of bonding experience for her from my read of it. And obviously the Booyah Moon is a setting for a bunch of uh, drastic things to happen, especially with Jim Dooley and the Lawn Boy. Um, so uh, I'll get to that in a bit, but I want to talk about Jim Dooley's attack on Lisi. And this book marks, I, I think... I don't know where it comes in the chronology of his writing, but there's a run of time where he wrote like Gerald's Game, Dolores Claiborne, Lisey's Story. I think Lisey's Story came well after those, but um, female protagonists and writing about women is is really interesting to have that perspective in this in this book. Um, I don't really have any any kind of more thoughts on that. I just wanted to kind of name check that and and kind of call attention to it because it's it's kind of interesting. I almost say it's a, it's unique to King or it's a unique 
kind of thing for King, but I mean, his first book was Carrie. So um, maybe it's not that unique, but it's an interesting kind of run where he has like a series or like a few, a few books that are, I think Rose Matter is one. I haven't read that, but um, where he has like female protagonists and, and, and women at the center of, of the book. And uh, I found that kind of, kind of vaguely interesting, I guess. Um, and this with Jim Dooley's attack on Lisi, it, that was where it kind of clicked together for me and not, not because I was, not because I was bored. I don't want it to sound like I was like excited because, oh yeah, something, something happened to this character and something traumatic and horrifying happened to this character. Now I'm really keyed into it. Uh, I don't want it to sound like that because I was invested in the story of Lisey and Scott and Lisey's grief and her bond with Scott and everything. But when Jim Dooley gave, had his attack, that be, that kind of lifted the veil for me in terms of having, I, I think in the, in the first portion of the book, I was under the assumption or I thought that Jim Dooley was going to uh, going to be a conduit to Scott's mental illness and his, his, uh, like he would be, he would be the, um, physical representation of the madness within Scott and Scott's family and Scott's father and brother, um, that he would be someone who like the, um, there was a portion in the book that at the beginning, toward the beginning of the book where Lisi is talking about this man who, I think like traveled across the country just to see Scott and to say that he knows that like he was clearly like disturbed and he knew like the secret messages that Scott was putting in his stories. And it just turned out to be kind of like that story that, that kind of anecdote in the book turned out to, I think really only serve to, um, to kind of give an example of, of, um, of, of Scott's kind of, I guess, a tenderness toward his, his fan base and tenderness toward people that, um, that maybe have same similar or the same afflictions that he had and everything, but it was more to speak to his character. And I kind of misconstrued that as being more about him, like a kind of clue to it being like, Oh, he did write all of these things and that there would be like a secret, like group of people that were aware of the things that he that he just happened to be kind of a part of and everything. And I think that in my mind, I kind of created a different story than what was handed to me in this book. And that is a complete fault of my own. But when Jim Dooley gave his attack and everything, and that's when it, that's when it kind of clicked with me that, okay, that's not the story we're getting, but instead we're getting a story of this woman that's suffering great pain, um, who's just suffered in, in like great, he, she's been suffering great emotional pain and she has now suffered just horrific physical pain. And this is her story of her growing, uh, growing out of that pain in a, in a, in a, uh, in a, in a, I don't know, in a, in a more powerful way, I guess, to, to move on from it, I guess, or confront it in certain respects. Um, so that's kind of where I was at, at that point. I just thought that it was, um, I just kind of think that the lead up to that could have been a little handled a little a uh, little bit better. Like I kind of I wasn't really that keyed into Jim Dooley as a character until he presented himself as the physical antagonist of the of the of the story. So I don't know. It, but after that, I was keyed into it a lot more. And 
kind of to circle back a little bit, the other thing that was really demanding a lot of time and attention from the story was the story of Amanda. Um, Lisey's sister, her older sister, who has kind of these mental mental illnesses and uh, self-harm, a propensity to self-harm. And her other sister calling her and telling her that she needs to, you know, come and, and help and everything because, you know, she's, she's be- become a danger to herself. And the idea of Lisey and her sisters, I kind of feel like that, that took away from the Jim Dooley aspect of the story. And I, I don't really have a problem with that because it is, it is an interesting, um, storyline to 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 examine and everything especially the way that Amanda kind of becomes a conduit for Scott through the Booyah Moon and through the kind of afterlife to an extent um and that kind of brought us into more into that supernatural aspect of the story so I can't fault that for it that much but I kind of feel like there was a little a little bit more strength to the writing in terms of a, a presence in the in the prose I guess of Amanda's story and the story of Amanda and Lisey and Lisey kind of helping with Amanda more so than the Jim Dooley kind of back stuff like the Jim Dooley slash Zach McCool stuff. Um, yeah. So, uh, as we're going through the flashbacks and the stories of Scott and Paul's childhood, it is traumatic. And, and this is, this book isn't necessarily like a horror themed book. Like it is more cerebral thriller, painful, emotional, um, uh, grief stricken story, not to the extent of like a pet cemetery or anything like that, but it is very much a character based kind of grief living, um, narrative instead of like an outright horror book. But when we, are given the scenes of Paul and Scott's childhood with their father, uh, doing the, the blood, blood bowl and going through just absolute, like absolute, um, psychotic breaks and harming the kids and, and putting their, their lives on the line and everything and putting their lives at risk. Um, that is, that was just horrific to me and, and upsetting in, in the best King way. And I just really, really liked that. And kind of the revelations that come out of it, like that, oh yeah, her, his father killed Paul and he killed his father. Like those kind of casual uh, revelations and then later on kind of paying off those or or further deepening those revelations by going into detail. I really like that the way that it was, that it unfolded throughout the book because it's classic Stephen King, like he'll lay a breadcrumb and then he'll give us a loaf later in the book. Um, which is, which is fantastic. It is one of my favorite, favorite qualities of his writing. And it does not disappoint here because the descriptions of Paul being afflicted with this just demon of mental illness and, and psychosis or psychotic break. And then the way that his father reacts to that and like chains him into the basement and keeps him, uh, and and filtering all of this through Scott's memory of his childhood as he's reciting it to Lisey, who is remembering it in the in the um in the uh vessel or or in the in the oh god in the perspective of her grief uh, after having lost Scott, it is just this very kind of almost Russian nest uh, Russian nesting doll story 
um, of it, that it's just, it kind of really comes through incredibly clearly. And it's, it's really, um, impactful the way that Stephen King writes it, because like I said, it is Scott remembering or Scott reciting or, or telling Lisi about it, but it is told through the perspective of Lisi's grief in her remembering of it, in her uncovering a memory of that. Um, so that, that is all just really incredible stuff. And I really appreciate and, and loved that, the story held back that Stephen King held back the story of Scott killing his father, like the details of that, holding that back for the ending with Lisey's story that Lisey finds in the Booyah Moon um, that he left for her is was really powerful because that is the I mean that is that is the big moment of his life. That is a horrific thing, um, and the way that King writes it as Scott writing it and Scott like the the little breaks in the in the paragraphs and the breaks in the the writing and the way that Lisi is responding to it and reacting to it is just really really good and that's where it kind of really comes to a head like the the emotional crux of the story is in that that manuscript that she finds because you really by the end of it you really really feel the love that Scott and Lisi shared and it's by far the book's biggest strength and it it's come home it comes home so perfectly in that in that moment so that's where i'm kind of conflicted because while i wasn't that connected with the book um with the majority of the book when it hit it hit very hard um and to kind of circle back a little bit i do need to talk about the climax of the jim dooley side of things where um uh, where Lisi takes Amanda with her and, uh, tell, like, has her, her other sisters, like, on a wild goose chase or whatever, on a trip and everything. And then they confront, uh, Jim Dooley and they feed him to the lawn boy in the Booyah Moon. Um, again, I kind of wish that those elements were a little bit more fleshed out and more interested or more, um, more intricately plotted in the, in the story because, by the end, at the end of the day, it kind of just reminded me a little bit of like, um, uh, other works of Stephen King kind of felt like, okay, the, the quartet of, of, um, of Amanda and, and Lisi are going to do battle with this, with this evil, evil, evil doer that is going to feed to an evil monster. I don't know. It, I can't really draw any examples in particular that that it connected with. I maybe Doctor Sleep a little bit, um, but I I don't know. It just kind of felt a little bit like okay, this is Stephen King at the it, really. It kind of felt like um, uh, Dumaki, um, and I wasn't even that connected with that um, that climax. So I don't know. It's kind of interesting to think about uh, the way that both both books kind of have this connection in in a certain way with um oh uh uh oh i can't remember the monster or the the demon or whatever in dumaki not persephone but uh, percy um it as it relates to to the lawn boy i don't know maybe i'll have to go back and check out dumaki but um i remember both dumaki and this book being kind of having similar climaxes and then me also being disconnected from it so i don't know what that is maybe i i don't know maybe i i don't have a reason for it but i do feel like it kind of uh felt like it should have been i kind of wish i i wish that i would have connected with it more i'll say that but i did love the idea of them just basically of of lisi basically feeding 
Jim Dooley to the lawn boy. <laughs> and uh, the idea of Lisi not knowing if Jim Dooley is dead or wanting to be dead um, while he's uh, like the idea of the lawn boy just, you know, um, keeping him captive inside him and everything is, is really horrifying and horrific. Um, so I'm kind of winding down a little bit. I kind of feel like I've talked through, uh, a lot of the points of this book. I don't think I'm missing that much, but I will say that the kind of, I, the, um, uh, the, the regression of, of Scott Landon is an interesting choice, uh, the kind of mental regression when he, he talks like as his, as his child self, um, as he's talking to Lisi and everything. I thought that was, that was kind of interesting, um, in terms of language and, and, uh, composition of the writing and everything. I thought it was very interesting, um, as a plot element. I thought that it was kind of, kind of, uh, it was a little, it was a little too strange, but, but ultimately, um, an interesting, an interesting, uh, plot quirk, I guess. Um, yeah, so I think that that is my review of Lisey's story. <laughs> like I said, probably not in my top 19, but definitely middle 20s, I think. Um, so about middle section of, of King's overall work that I've read. Um, maybe if I revisit it, I, uh, I might gain a new appreciation for it. But um, on this first reading, I was kind of just uh, a little bit... Um, I-, I was impressed with it from a structural standpoint, but ultimately, just uh, it it didn't really do much for me um, in terms of the overall or in terms of the plotting of it, I should say. But that emotional core, the emotional story of Lisey and Scott and Lisey's grief and Lisey's growth throughout it, because when she finds it, she's, you know, she uh, she kind of grows, grows through her grief um, and, and grows into a, to a new person or, or a stronger person by the end of the book um, and an individual person at that. So. I don't know. There's a lot here that I, I latched onto and I enjoyed, but um, it is a little bit disjointed, disjointed for my taste. So, um, so yeah, about mid twenties region in the ranking of Stephen King books, and uh, and yeah, so that's my review of Lisey's story. I am going to kind of wind down and end this episode with um, just my uh, thoughts, uh, my my expectations or my feelings about the upcoming. Um, uh, adaptation because I am very interested in this because it's an Apple TV plus, um, story that, or Apple TV, TV plus, uh, <laughs> adaptation. And what I love about it is that it is written. Every episode is written by Stephen King and every episode is, uh, directed by Pablo, uh, Lorraine. Uh, I'm probably mispronouncing that. Um, but, uh, yeah, he directed uh, Jackie, The Club, and some other stuff. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to it. I, anytime Stephen King does a um, um, oh that's interesting. Oh okay, anytime that he uh that he actually has his hands on the on a project, it's something that I'm I'm interested in, and the casting is is really good. Um. Playing Jim Dooley is Dane DeHaan, who I feel like he hasn't really he hasn't really done much to really uh, I don't want to say impress me, but like I don't think he has been given a very many very good roles that I've seen him in since Chronicle, uh, which I thought he did a phenomenal job in Chronicle. 
Um, and then uh, obviously as Lisi is Julianne Moore, who I, I love her as an actor for years. Um, so she's great. And then Clive Owen is playing Scott Landon. And it's interesting because the, the reason I kind of broke uh, when I was talking about it um, was that uh, the trivia is the first time, this is the first time Clive Owen and Julianne Moore have worked together since Children of Men, in which they also played husband and wife. Um, which the reason I chuckle at that is because uh, I am going to, in the next couple of days on Patreon at the $5 level, record a commentary track for Children of Men. So that's kind of uh, an interesting kind of uh, connection there, or coincidence, I should say. So I'm looking forward to it. In terms of Apple TV+, Plus. I've seen some of their stuff, and it's solid. Um, I mean, they it's Apple, so they have the... Um, they have money to throw at it. Um and also, uh, I believe J.J. Abrams is a producer on this, which I am, uh, I mean, he was a producer on Castle Rock, so, and I loved Castle Rock, so I am pretty, um, excited about that. I don't know how hands-on he is with the producing on that, um, on the show, but Joan Allen is playing Amanda, which is cool. Sung Kang is playing Dan Beckman. Jennifer Jason Lee is playing Darla. So it's a good cast. It's a very good cast, and I'm very excited for it, um, and again, that series, that limited series, is premiering two episodes on June 4th, and I will have my uh, reviews of those episodes on Patreon at the $2 level, and Tiny and I will have a review of those two episodes on the main feed when uh, the episodes drop on June 4th. And then, uh, yeah, then it goes week to week after that, so um, pretty, pretty excited about this. Um can't wait to see it and can't wait to kind of um share my thoughts and hopefully hopefully hear from you guys and see what you guys think of Lisey's story because I really love the idea of Stephen King fandom as a community and um I, anytime we have new Stephen King content it's always a, a blast to kind of see what the the Stephen King verse feels about it and uh the content of Stephen King fans uh see how they respond to it so that's exciting um yeah. And then, so yeah, uh, we are done here. <laughs> That's my review of Lisey's story. Check out the other shows, Obsessive Viewer Anthology, and uh, and then also some of the writing at obsessiveviewer.com for reviews and everything that I've been doing. Um, I'm going to play myself out. Um, yeah, I unfortunately, Tiny had to work, so um, he couldn't jump in with his thoughts, but I'm excited to talk to him about the show next week. So yeah. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. And uh, yeah, I'm 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 super excited for the show. So thank you guys so much for listening. Long days and pleasant nights. And may you have twice the number. And now here's a short clip from our Patreon exclusive RSS feed. To hear the full clip and more exclusive Patreon content, go to patreon.com slash obsessive viewer and become a patron at the minimum rate of $1 per month. Thank you and enjoy. Like, I know that uh, there are some people that that say like, oh, like before this edition came out, they were like, oh, you should maybe play the second game first. Um, I would never subscribe to that thought because I still think that the the narrative of the first Mass Effect is just incredible. But they have really streamlined it. Because when when the first Mass Effect came out, it had a very cumbersome um, 
gunplay and 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 uh shooter mechanics and everything because it was kind of secondary and then when they came out with mass effect 2 they really really like revised that and made mass effect 2 and 3 very much more shooter oriented and it, it was a much more pleasurable and fun experience um in that at, at that point like if it was just it was incredibly it was a vast improvement because they just they just redesigned the shooter elements and the the heads up display and everything mass effect in the legendary edition they didn't completely revamp the um shooting mechanics or anything but it is much more streamlined it's much more in line with the heads up display and the mechanics of mass effects 2 and 3 like the it's and it's so seamless in this legendary edition that I did not even realize like how vast the changes were until I saw a video that compared the two, the two differences between the original game and the legendary edition game, because it's just so seamless and it's so reminiscent of Mass Effect two and three, which I played more recently um, in terms of five years ago. Tower junkies is edited and produced by Matt hurt and presented by obsessiveviewer.com. for a full archive of our episodes. Go to towerjunkiespod.com slash archive. You can also like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash towerjunkiespod and follow us on Twitter at towerjunkiespod. If you enjoy the show, please take a couple minutes to leave us a rating and a quick review on Apple Podcasts. This is the easiest way to support what we do, and all it costs is just a little bit of your time. If you'd like to donate to the podcast, you can make a PayPal donation at towerjunkiespod.com slash donate or support us on Patreon for recurring donations and access to commentary tracks and B-roll audio recorded exclusively for patrons at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. Every donation goes toward paying the fees to keep the podcast running and is greatly appreciated. For official Obsessive Viewer merch, including shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more, visit our Tee Public store. You can find a link to the store in the show notes of this episode and at obsessiveviewer.com slash donate. Or you can simply search for Obsessive Viewer at tpublic.com. For information about our annual live event showcasing short horror films from local filmmakers, check out shocktoberinirvington.com. And for an archive of all our events, as well as news about potential future events, head over to obsessiveviewer.com slash live. For more podcast content, you can find our flagship movie and TV review and discussion show, The Obsessive Viewer Podcast, at obsessiveviewer.com and on Twitter at obsessiveviewer. You can also find Anthology, Matt's solo podcast covering The Twilight Zone, and other classic and contemporary science fiction anthology TV shows at anthologypod.com and OVAnthologyPod on Twitter. And finally, check out The Secular Perspective, Tiny's side project podcast which tackles current events and life's big questions from the perspective of secular hosts Chad and Amanda at thesecularperspective.com. Music for the podcast is provided with permission from Fingers T on YouTube. Additional bumper music is provided courtesy of As Good As It Gets, which can be found at facebook.com slash asgoodasitgetsband. Thank you so much for listening. Long days and pleasant nights. Kitty!